you have your Bibles, please open to Mark chapter 7. We're going to continue on through our series through the book of Mark. It's been a privilege and joy to preach along with other men this particular gospel because it's slowly growing on me. I mean, I used to love the gospel of John, but now the gospel of Mark is, is growing on me. I think partially because we just see a little bit more about our Savior as a servant. We know him as a God as a God and man and fully man and fully God. But to see him just with this intense focus as a servant really encourages me. It fills my soul with joy. Mark chapter 7. This evening we're going to go from chapter 7 verse 1 to 13. I'm going to begin reading the text. We're going to pray and then we're going to go to the sermon. Mark chapter 7 verse 1. The Pharisee, Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves, and there are many other things which they have received in order to observe such as washing of cups and pitchers and copper, to- and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandments of God, you hold to the tradition of man. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, and uh, thus invalidating the word of God by your traditions, which you, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Father God, thank you for bringing us together at the end of the week beginning of the weekend, and Lord, I pray that you can use your words to encourage, encourage us and to refresh our hearts and our souls so that we can um, live in a way that is in, accord, in accordance to your word, so that we can give you all the glory. In your son's precious name, amen. I am personally very fascinated by individuals who are experts at certain, at certain fields, Usually when you see someone that is very passionate and is excited about something, you get a person that will inevitably be an expert in this particular field or any field. Uh, the The meticulous details they put into one particular subject, especially when they talk about it, especially when they're passionate about something, it fascinates me. Even if the task or the subject is incredibly tedious, if they are, if they love this particular topic or whatever it may be, it is, in, it is interesting to me. There is a man by the name of Dave McComey. He had a very 
particular skill set. He is a safe cracker. What that means is that he breaks into vaults. His job and his specialty, his expertise, is, into, is breaking into bank vaults. He once wrote a book called Safe Cracker, a chronicle of the coolest job in, in the world. And he talks about just what it takes to break into a safe. And what makes him unique uh, compared to all the other safe crackers in the world is that he is particularly persistent. He, he, it's not just the tools that he has or the skill set in particular, but he is persistent in terms of breaking into a vault. He uh, once described a job, especially when he's really interested in this particular vault, that what feels like minutes to him is actually hours in reality. And one day, several years ago, he got an email. He got this inquiry. He, they asked him, hey, we need you to open this vault for an artist. And at first, he didn't think much of it. He ignored it. And a few days later, he got the email again from the same group of people saying, hey, I heard that you're the only one that could open this one particular vault. Can you come and open this vault? And he was suspicious because, you know, he gets a lot of these inquiries. He doesn't know if this is a scam, but he was intrigued, so he responded. And they wanted him to open this vault for this particular artist, and this artist is none other than the artist formerly known as Prince. Prince died several years ago of sudden death, and he had this vault in his house, and no one knows the password. No one knows the code, but they know that inside this vault must have millions of songs, and people wanted their hands on it. So they hired this individual, and almost immediately, Dave knew what this vault was. This vault that they asked him to break into is called the Mosler American Century, and what is Unique about this is usually it's used in banks, but Prince was rich enough to buy it and put it in his house. This vault is, you know, six tons, and this, you know, aside from the fact that like most vaults are like multiple layers, it's very heavy. All of these different layers and like metals like, to protect it. This vault is particularly unique in that it has this one particular mechanism called the mousetrap relocker. It's called this mousetrap relocker, and it's. And what this thing does is that it's built inside this vault in, in, in the middle of it, and it's just, it has this, a unique ability to almost like sense the temperature change. Because when you have to drill into it, it'll, and when it senses the temperature, it'll, it'll, it'll trigger this spring, this lock. And what the lock would do is it'll basically shut the front door so that even if you have the code, you will not be able to break in. So, Basically, it's over. If, if, they, if they spring this lock, if they spring this little rat, it's called the, the, vault, the, the little, little mousetrap thing, or relocker trigger, the whole vault, the whole project is doomed. So they hired Dave, and Dave said that there's only one small little spot that you can drill into, and it has to be a size of a little pea. And he did that. He, he went in, and everyone was all silent, and he was there. He got all his tools. Uh, side note, all his tools is stuck in another vault, and if he lost his tools, if he lost a way to enter into his own vault, it's over him too. But so, you know, he had to make sure that he, he keeps his password somewhere. But he went on this little case to open Prince's vault. He finds this one spot, he draws it with a little Sharpie, and then he measures it. He does it multiple times. He, start, he begins to start drilling in. And after several hours, he 
he hit a point where he realizes, okay, I need to switch the tip of this thing because it's starting to get too warm. So I had to wait, and he drills in with a diamond tip. Then eventually, it was quiet. Then eventually, here's a click. Now, what he doesn't know at the time is, did he spring this reload, this relocker, or did it actually go through? So he pulls the whole, this little drill out, and he peeks in, and he realizes that he did it. After several hours, he was able to make a little hole and big enough so that he can see what the code is. And he was able to unlock it and then a treasure trove of Prince's long lost music. You can actually buy some of these songs on iTunes, by the way. I'm not promoting him, but I'm just saying that. This <laughs> but it's very fascinating, right? For me, when I was reading this, it was very fascinating to me because even as he just tells a story about how hard it took him to just drill into this vault. He was an expert at this. And there are many things that you and I can be expert in or expert at that could give us a lot of fame and fortune, but there's one expertise in the entire existence that you don't want to be known as, especially if it's known to us by God, and that is an expert at setting aside God's commandments. You can be known as an expert on everything in life, but the one thing you do not want to be an expert at is to be an expert in setting aside God's commandments. And this is how Jesus describes the Pharisees, describes the Sadducees, and all the Jewish leaders at the time. That they were individuals that were experts in terms of not listening to God's word, putting it aside and adding more words and commands to be a snare on other people. Now before we judge these Pharisees and the scribes, understand that we have the temptation as well. We struggle with this. We too can be people that can set aside God's word for a multitude of reasons. And some set aside by adding to it, and that's called legalism. And others seek to, to, to put God's word aside in terms of taking things away, and that's called antinomianism. Both of them are wrong. Both of them are two sides of the same coin, and it's a currency that will utterly buy your way to hell. I titled the sermon Selective Sanctification because in both ends of the spectrum, both in terms of the legalist or the antinomian, both of them seek to just do what's right in their own eyes. There are things that they are okay with from Scripture, and there are other things that they, are, uh, that they uh, will go against. They're selective in terms of what they believe is holy. Now, again, we need to look in our own hearts before we look at the Pharisees and think, oh, we'll never be like them, understand that all of us in our own sinfulness can swing to one way or the other. We can try to add to God's word or we can try to take away from God's word. Now, I do believe if there was, if you were to ask me personally, where we are as a Christian culture, I would say we lean towards more of the antinomianism, which is you do whatever you want. You claim you could call yourself a Christian, yet you do whatever you want because we're free in Christ. We can to live life the way that we want because isn't salvation by faith? Isn't it just by grace? Why do we need to do anything? I think our culture, our Christian culture in our circle leans towards more that direction. But there are seasons that will swing the other way as well. But again, instead of looking at the culture as a whole, look at our own hearts because all of us are prone to lean toward one side or the other. So I'm going to walk through the text here and it could give us some just a really a portrait of what a legalist looked like and what an antinomian looks like. And as Jesus confronts these individuals, think of yourself. See where you land in this spectrum. And I hope that as you see this, these little attributes, that you would hopefully repent of it. 
that you will live not according to your own standards or neglecting God's standard, but rather you truly love and delight in Jesus Christ and live faithfully to him. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. We'll title this first part, The Legalist. The Pharisees and the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around when they had come from Jerusalem. So Jesus' popularity is growing. A whole bunch of people have heard of him. They, uh, they've, they've heard him healing people. Uh, they heard the fact that uh, early on John the Baptist came and even Jewish people uh, went to get baptized. It was offensive to them. The, the, so in a lot of ways, Jesus' popularity is, is, is eclipsing those of the religious leaders at the time. And they were intimidated by it. They were threatened. So they're trying to find a way to go and, and basically discredit Jesus Christ. It says here the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees were what we would call the, the conservative group of people. These are the people that uh, tried their best to live out all the things that's in the Old Testament. They took, it, uh, they took God's word literally. They believed everything that was there. But the problem that they had was that they added a whole bunch of traditions. Over time, they, decided they were people that wanted to be so pure uh, that they decided to make up other rules and, in, and observe those uh, principles as actual law, as, as if it's equal to God's word. And the scribes are essentially people that, you know, they're the people that are the teachers. They lived it out. They lived out God's word, and they're the ones that are, that are teaching these things. So these two groups gathered around Jesus, and this word gathered here is the same idea of like a pool of, a school of fish that just kind of circles around so they were essentially stalking Jesus and their disciples. They went all the way from Jerusalem. They went to hear and, and learn about this Jesus. Now these Pharisees, these people wanted to take back their positions. They were known as the experts. These people, they, they knew uh, doctrine. They have a lot of doctrine in their mind. But yet they use those doctrine to bind people's conscience to external standards. They didn't use it to try to lead them to, to God. Rather, they use their own positions and their knowledge of God's word to, 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 to bind a person's conscience to, to, to laws that are made by man and not by God. Understand, that is what the legalists will try to do. They are people that know God's word fairly well, but what they will try to do is that they'll make something external and make that uh, the thing that binds people. They will cite scripture. They will... They will dilute scripture or they will twist scripture to get their way. And that is exactly what the Pharisees tried to do with the people there. These were people that understood and, can, and, and they're, the, they're the greatest debaters at that time. They knew God's word so that when people challenged them, they would have some sort of scripture to back them up. This is what makes Jesus so unique because when Jesus spoke, he wasn't citing some sort of rabbi or some other Jewish teacher. He spoke as someone with authority. Verse 2. And, uh, and again, these Pharisees scribe, and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with defiled hands, that is, unwashed. This word uh, is it had seen this is ongoing. They're observing him from a distance. They, they, it wasn't just a glance. They just kept following him. And then they were trying to basically find some case against Jesus and the disciples. And it said that some disciples, meaning not all of them, just some of them, they were eating the bread with defiled hands. And this is just here, my view here. What, what is this bread here? I think it's actually this, the bread that came uh, in chapter 6 when Jesus fed the 5,000. I think these were just some of the leftover ones that they're eating. They're eating this thing, but yes, that they, 
It said that they were eating with defiled hands. This word defiled, doesn't, it's not the thing that we're thinking about in terms of like the hands were dirty. Rather, Mark is using the word common, meaning the way that they washed their hands was just the way that everyone else did it. It was not some sort of ritual, which is what the Pharisees um, commanded. There was some sort of out external ritual that they were supposed to do. Clearly, this is a very public thing as well. It wasn't just something that, uh, that you do, just simply washing your hands, because even in the Old Testament, they understood that you should wash your hands you, so, that you can, uh, you know, so that you can be healthy, so that you won't eat anything you know, bad, on, so you just, you know, food doesn't get bad, polluted and go into your stomach. They understood that. But what the Pharisees wanted was that they wanted this public display to show other people how holy they were. And because the Pharisees were watching them and they didn't do the washing of hands the way that they did it, they said that, hey, your disciples have defiled hands. And it's that that is unwashed. The disciples, they did wash their hands, but it was not in the way that they wanted to do it. The Pharisees understood that uh, that in order to make people feel bad, it has to be something that they could do, something that only elite Christ- spiritual people can do. Look at verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observe the traditions of the elders. And it says here that you know, they were, they were they're just carefully washing their hands. This word is fist here. Unless they carefully wash their hands, it's... Uh, we don't exactly know what it looks like, but from some dis- description, it seems like there's a way in which you're supposed to pour your hand, uh, pull, put your hand out, and water will go on into a particular basin. And as the water goes down, you're supposed to almost like clench your fists, and there's a certain gesture that you would do to show the world that, hey, I am now clean. And it was a public thing, and the Pharisees charged Jesus' disciples for being unclean. And it's that and it also said, and there are many other things which they have, sorry, and this is uh, verse 4, and when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash themselves, and there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Again, you notice that it's the traditions of the elders. They were doing this as a way to seem spiritually mature. They, they, they wanted this traditions, and traditions in a lot of ways, they're easy to follow because they don't require faith. The Pharisees, they trusted in the results of things, and therefore they taught it. And, and, and we understand a legalist, the life of legalists is actually very easy because they, it doesn't require much faith. All it requires to do is just externally live out a particular way. In a lot of ways, their tradition is just a lazy man's religion. They see some sort of positive outcome in the traditions that they've done, and therefore they said, you need to do this. Otherwise, you, will be, you, you'll be, you won't be blessed by God. In our monitor example, we've seen, we've seen this all over, right? In the church, there's some people think that if you don't dress a certain way, then you must not be spiritually mature. Or if you don't evangelize a particular way, then you're not spiritually mature. Or some, I know in our, in our church, there's three circles of thought in terms of how to do schooling. There's homeschooling or public school and private school, and I'm for all three. But there are some, not in this church, just in general, just in Christian circles, will think that, well, my, I was saved in the homeschool environment, and therefore everyone needs to be homeschooled. Or some people say, well, I was saved in a public school environment, so therefore everyone needs to go to public school. Or I was saved in a Christian school environment, therefore everyone needs to go to Christian school. 
And then they'll make this tradition and they pass it along as if that is the same, in the same position as God's word. Whatever it may be, it's always some sort of tradition that's passed down from generation to generation, and it doesn't require much thinking, which is why tradition is a lazy man's religion. All you have to do is just read something and then do it and then just trust in those outcomes. But it doesn't require intellect. It doesn't require love and devotion to the Lord. Verse 4, and when they came from the marketplace, unless they wash, uh, uh, marketplace, they do not unless they wash themselves. And there are many things that they do. I've read this before. They've done all of these different things. But why? Why do they do this? They do this because of two reasons. One is because of superstitious reasons. Because some people think that if you don't abide by these traditions, then you're going to be cursed by the Lord. In fact, there was a belief at the time that if you don't wash your hands a certain way, uh, then demons will possess you. They believed that some of the rabbis at the time taught that there were demons that live and sit on your hand, and if you don't wash your hands a certain way, then you consume the food with the demon on it, and therefore you get demonically possessed. Again, this is a this is like superstition thing that they taught, and people bought into it. It's not in Scripture. It's not authoritative in God's Word. It was just a tradition that was passed down through generations and generations. And even the rabbi said, if you don't wash your hand in a particular way, you'll be excommunicated because you are defiled. Another reason is outside of superstition is that it could be man-pleasing. The reason why they wanted to do this was so that they could, have, they could show off to other people that, hey, look how godly I am. Look at all of these things that I've done. And again, understand that we can be in the same camp. We can do things in the name of God for the same reasons, whether it's superstition or for man-pleasing. You can come into the church, and you can do a whole lot of things for the church so that you can be blessed by the Lord. You can have this hollow faith in your life to think that I'm going to do all of these things for God. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to go to church on Friday. I'm going to do all of these different things just so I can be blessed by the Lord. And that is looking at God with a superstitious attitude as opposed to seeing him as your, as, as your God, and you have a whole hard devotion for him. Others can be man-pleasing. I come to church, I do all of these things so that I can be liked in the church, so I can be respected in the church. That is what a legalist would do. They would put all of these external things so that they can be viewed in a particular light, whether it is for superstitious to come almost like bribe the Lord or for man-pleasing. These people on the outward, outwardly, they do look religious, but they are not. Verse 5, and the Pharisees and scribes asked, why do your disciples not walk according to traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with defiled hands? Notice that they said, uh, according to traditions of the elders. It has nothing to do with why aren't, you, why, aren't they, why aren't they obeying God's word? Why aren't they submitting to the standard and statutes of the Lord? Rather, they're saying, and they're really showing their hand here, they're, it's the traditions of the elders here. And they said, but eat with their defiled hands. Now, why didn't Jesus teach this? Why doesn't he confront them? It's because the Bible doesn't explicitly say it. Rather, the Bible doesn't say it in the way that these elders think it, because there actually is a command in Scripture about washing hands. In Exodus chapter 30, or uh, yeah, in Exodus chapter 30, there is a command for the Levites, the priests, to wash their hand in a particular way, but it's only for specifically for the priests in the context of service. 
to worship in the context of the worship service. The priests are supposed to wash their hands a certain way so that they can basically be a, a representative for man to God and for God to man. They do have a particular set of rules that they need to follow, but that's only for the priests. It wasn't meant for everyone else. But the legalists, these Pharisees, took that and bend it towards everyone else so that they could lord it over them. The legalist bends scripture, and that's what they do. They force an application, they twist an application so that it can be seen as inspired. That's the legalist. Now let's look at the antinomian, verse 6. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. And Jesus here is speaking to them. Jesus is, is confronting them. And he, he, you know, he has, this is basically Jesus versus all of them. This is not even an even match because God alone can, is taking out all of these guys. He confronts them, said rightly. And this is this idea of excellent example that you do it well. You live up to Isaiah's prophecy here about you hypocrites. Like these hypocrites, these guys are actors. All of the things that these Pharisees and scribes are doing, it's just for show. This is, that, this is a reference here is in Isaiah 29, from Isaiah 29. It says, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far away from me. Jesus speaks of what is going on in their hearts internally. You can seem like you're doing the right thing outwardly. You can profess that you are Jesus' follower. You can call yourself a reformed Christian, yet your heart can be distant from him. Do you do what you do because it is the most religious thing to do, or do you do these things because you have a heart for the Lord? This is really a question you need to ask yourself in every ministry that you're part of. Do you go to church because you love Jesus? Do you care about evangelism because you love Jesus? Do you you delight in fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in church because you love Jesus? Because you can say, yes, to I love all of those things. But if your heart is cold towards the Lord, it doesn't matter. He sees your heart. He knows what you, you true, who you truly are. Verse 7, but in vain, they, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, of, doctrines the commands of men. They do all these things externally, but, when, but when they, what they really teach is just human ideas masked as God's words. They're not teaching scriptures, but they're teaching man's ideas. They teach their own ideas as opposed to submitting to God, and they actually put their ideas on the same level as scripture. And this is the most horrifying passage here in terms of Jesus' description. It said, leaving the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of man, and he was also saying to them, you are good at setting aside the command of God in order to keep your traditions. It says that they were leaving, they were neglecting, they walked away from God, and they upheld to traditions of man. They chose not to listen to God's word and, 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 and lived according to their own traditions. And understand that is what the antinomian does. These are people who would set aside certain parts of God's word because they want to hold to a certain way of living. It is very easy for us to cherry pick what type of command that we want to live by. We are totally fine with not murdering anyone. 
But yet, when it comes to slandering, that is something that we will go by, we will do unknowingly, and even maybe even try to defend it. We are totally fine with not uh, with not committing adultery, but yet we're 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 not fine. We're totally fine with people not committing, but yet we're okay in terms of accepting that it's okay to just grumble here and there. You know, we're selective about our sin, and that's not right. That's what an antinomian does. They, they choose to submit to certain rules of Scripture because it's easy. They're willing to repent of some sins, but not every single one of them. And that's what makes them, uh, that's what makes antinomium so dangerous. Because the legalist is someone that may be spiritually lazy, so is the antinomian. Because they're not really striving to live holy lives. They're not people that really want to live for the full glory of the Lord. They want to just do the bare minimum because in their life, Christ is not the ruler of their life. It is their own flesh. It's the traditions of other people. I know that in our modern day, we have this word Christian liberty. And I, and I know that there are things that are not inherently sinful. But I can't help but wonder for some of us if that is just an excuse for us to live in sin. We sometimes say things like, well, it's the, the Bible doesn't prohibit it, so it's okay for me to do those things. Yet we are willing to defend our Christian liberty more than defending the glory of God. We care so much about the liberties, the things that we're able to do, as opposed to rather as opposed to living differently from the world. We're called as sojourners and as ambassadors, and this is not our home, yet we live like the world. But yet we, all, we cover it with doctrine. We lay aside certain commands of Scripture so that we can live according to, to the traditions of man. Again, this is where we need to really evaluate our own hearts. Because I know we are tempted towards this. We're tempted towards antinomianism. We're tempted to just live in a way that looks like Christianity. We're free to do whatever we want. But yet we can be deceived to, into actually fall into sin and not even be aware of it. And Jesus gives this example here. It says, for Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever you might benefit from me is Corban, that is to say, given to God. So Jesus uses the Old Testament, uses the, the, the Torah, really, to say, well, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And the Jewish individuals, the Jewish leaders at the time, found a way to basically not honor their father and mother, not care for them. And this thing called Corbin, and this word Corbin means, it means dedicated to God. It's, this, it's, it's to be given to the Lord. So the picture here is that their parents are, these, these Jewish leaders, their parents are in desperate need. They need the son to take care of them. But instead, they say, well, I, I devoted this to the Lord. So I can't give this money to you. But in reality, it's not really devoted to the Lord. It's really just keeping away from the, from the parents because the, the hope is that, that the parents will die before they have to give this to them because if they died before the parents died, then the money would you know, go to them to take care of them, but instead it's going to the Lord. But really, this is the Jewish people will actually use this little clause here because it seems like the religious thing to do, right? It seems right. I'm, I'm giving this to the Lord. I'm giving to missions. I'm supporting ministry. I'm, I, I, can't, I can't support you, mom and dad, because I need to give to the church. That's what Corbin is. He's, these Jewish people made up a law 
a tradition, a loophole, really, to not obey God. And it changed from something that was to be, you know, God, they basically warped to God's word by finding ways to kind of go away from it. Again, this is our temptation as well. We look at whatever passage of scripture, and instead of saying, Lord, I see my own shortcoming in this, instead of seeing your own sin when scripture reveals it to you, oftentimes we say, but Lord, we make an excuse. But Lord, I know laziness is a sin, but, but Lord, don't you understand I need this rest? Or you justify dating non-Christians. Lord, don't you know, I know the Bible tells us about we can't be unequally yoked, but, but Lord, don't you know that I am lonely? See, this is what the Pharisees were thinking. They were trying to find a loophole to live in such a way that would just make their life more comfortable. And we can be the same as well. We can, instead of trying to live in, a very, in an uncomfortable setting, to live holy lives separate from the world, we rather live comfortably and make biblical reasons for it. In reality, those things are demonic. Antinomianism is a demonic doctrine, much like legalism. It seeks to tear away your relationship with the Lord without you even knowing it. Verse 12, you, you no longer have to do anything for your father or your mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your traditions, which you have handed down, and do many things such as that. And just notice then verse 8, it said leaving, leaving the commandment of God, and it said you hold to the traditions of man, and in verse 13, invalidating the word of a God. That's really the path of an antinomian. They first leave God's command, then they hold to the traditions, and they invalidate God's word. When you do this in your life, when you choose to leave God's word and then hold to some sort of tradition that you made up in your own heart, you invalidate scripture because you claim to be a Christian and the Bible teaches something contrary, you invalidate God's word in that way. When you look at your own life, do you find yourself trying to leave God's command? Is it easier for you to just kind of excuse, make excuses to sin some more? Or is it something that you, or is God's word something that you cherish? Is it something that you love because it reveals to you the holiness of our God and you love Jesus, you delight him, so you want to live for him, and you want to live in such a way that is pleasing to him? Or do you choose to leave it? You just kind of ignore certain parts of scripture. You get to certain parts of Romans 12. Uh, this whole thing about making reconciliation, forget that. I rather, you know, they go do their thing, I do my thing. You, you look at the Beatitudes, you say, well, blessed are those, those, the, the meek. You know, I don't, uh, do I really need to be humble at work? You look at certain passages about the way that we live and do you find yourself making justification or even times of, of, of or places where you, where you make excuses for sin. Right? Like we'll, we'll all affirm these things at church, but are there places that you find yourself neglecting scripture or parts of it? Do you find yourself being tempted at work or at school at home, like, I, like I'm going to obey God at church. I'm going to affirm everything that the pastors or the elders say or the, what the Bible has to teach. But at home, I'm just, going to be, I'm just going to grumble and complain. I'm going to lie at work. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to slander those that are in my class. You know, you have to realize that that's the path of antinomian. They first leave God's command. They, they hold to some tradition, and they, they, they invalidate the word of God. 
And it says this, that they do many things such as that, which implies that when you live like an antinomian, it doesn't just stay in one sin. We can, say, we can think, oh, I'm just going to compromise in this one area. And eventually, you'll make excuses for other sins as well. You will find different ways to disobey the Lord. And that's a searing of your conscience that we need to be aware of. Do you find yourself doing this? Do you neglect obedience by replacing things of really traditions of man? Now, those are just the two points, the legalist antinomy. I want to give some points of application for us to think about. First, the similarities between legalism and antinomian is that they're, they both have a, they both cold to the Lord. The antinomian and the legalists are both very cold towards the Lord. The legalists, they're cold to God because they, they, they seem like they want to obey, but they only want to obey God according to their standards, and they want to make these rules that seem godly on the surface. It has nothing to do with being close to the Lord or, or wanting to represent Christ. It's just really cold and distant to the Lord. They appear to be making some sort of spiritual decisions in their life, but really their commands to make make it for so that other people make them so that other people could look at them and think, wow, look how godly they are. And it's impossible for others to follow suit. The antinomian is, is cold to the Lord because they just don't want to obey God. They don't care about what scripture has to say about how in Psalm 119, where the psalm is pleading not to sin against the Lord because they want, they want like, or treasuring God's word in their heart so they don't sin against the Lord. They don't care about those things. They want to look like they're mature. And that's the danger, right? They, they want to seem like they're really mature. I could drink. I could do whatever I want. I could party. I could dance. I could do all of these things. What's wrong with it? The Bible doesn't permit it. In fact, Psalm 150 talks about dancing. The Old Testament people danced. David drank. They will, make all of the, they will use all of these scriptures to justify living in the flesh. And the reason why they do that is because they are, their heart is cold towards the Lord. The legalist and the antinomian will try to add a new scripture because they trust their own abilities and efforts. They are more on fire for their own accomplishments than they are towards the Lord. In fact, they're cold towards the Lord. Second, the antinomian and legalist, both of them, they're performances. They're not worshipers. They're performances. They're not worshipers. God wants a genuine worship. He doesn't care about what you say or what you do. What he cares most about is what's going on in your own heart. God wants genuine worship, not something that you do uh, externally. Because the antimonian, they have this fake maturity or this fake, or, or, whether, or the opposite, and the legalists, they have this fake piety. Both of them are performing arts. They don't have a true devotion. They don't have a true worship for the Lord. The legalists, on one hand, will affirm things about the scripture and they'll add on to things and think, they'll add on other things and to make it seem as though they are a cut above the rest. They're performing. In essence, they're just acting. That's why Jesus calls them hypocrites because they're just acting. They're pretending that their spirituality is genuinely from the Lord, but in reality, they're just covering up. They're just putting on a show because in their own heart of hearts, they are cold to the Lord and this is all just an act and all just a show for them. The antimony, on the other hand, will always justify why they do not need to repent. They will always find reasons to not repent because God is so gracious. 
God is so loving. God is not about all these rules. And therefore, they could just do whatever they want. And this goes against what Romans chapter 8 talks about, right? Paul was against these. things. like, if, are we supposed to sin so that grace may abound? They say, may it never be. The antinomian looks at that and said, well, that's not me. That's not what we're talking about here. They abuse the grace of God. They feign spiritual maturity. You see the similarity between the two, right? The legalist has this false, false spiritual piety, and the antinomian has this false spiritual maturity. Both of them are offense to the Lord because both of them are performances. They do not have a genuine heart and a worship to the Lord. And this is why in Matthew 7, when it says that there are people that are going to get thrown into hell to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do these things in your name? It's because in their mind they think, Lord, I, the legalists think, I did all of these things. I, have a, I, I live my life with a certain discipline. I controlled my income in a certain way. I did all of these things for the church. Lord, let me into heaven for all of the things I've done. And, and God said, depart from me for I never knew you. At the same time, the antinomian, look, Lord, didn't I promote grace? Didn't I promote in the way that I live? Look at how much interactions I've had with all these non-believers. Look how I was, I was one of them. I was like you in the way that you spend time with tax collectors and prostitutes. I lived with the world. Surely I deserve to get into heaven because of all the things that I have done. And in both cases, the Lord says, depart from me. Because the Lord sees that they don't have a genuine heart for him. There is not genuine worship. It is all performative. Not only is that both of them have their, their hearts are cold to God, or that's performative, but thirdly, both do this. Both the legalist and antinomian, both of them do not trust God. That's the similarity. They don't trust God, both of them. There is a disdain for who God is because the legalist thinks in a lot of ways that they are even holier than God's standard. They think, I could live up to this. I'm going to add more to it. The Jewish uh, leaders at the time had different tomes to have like, commentaries on the Old Testament that they, were, that they would hold up to Scripture or, or oral traditions that they would say is equal to Scripture or court cases that they used to rule and say those things are tradition and therefore those are inspired as well. They have all of these different books and that's why Jesus says, like, you're, you're hypocrites. These things... You're adding to scripture. You're going away from the source and you're worshiping the traditions of man. And the reason why that is is because they don't trust God. They don't trust God at all. They don't trust in the scripture. They don't trust the God of scripture. They trust in their own intellect. The antinomian does the opposite. Whereas the legalists try to add a whole bunch of things, the antinomian will take out certain things in the scriptures. It will be the opposite. If, they look, if you look at their scripture, it will be just a few pages. Mainly all the verses about grace and not having and love. There will be nothing about why you need to repent. They won't even know that concept because they don't care about those things. They don't trust God. Whether you're adding or taking away from scripture, both of those things show that you do not trust the Lord. You are, and I are called to trust and obey the scriptures. And this is something that we have to do for a lifetime. But what is the remedy? Because we all are prone to one or the other. What are we supposed to do? Well, the solution to not be legalist or antinomian is not to swing to the other extreme. But rather, it's to look to Jesus Christ. Look to the one that's confronting the Pharisees. Don't try to be the opposite, because the Pharisees had the Sadducees. They were the polar opposites. 
Don't look to those. Look to, the, look to Jesus who confronted them because Jesus told them the way in which they can have true salvation. In the last several weeks when I preached, I talked about how understanding the original audience is incredibly helpful in the way that we read the book of Mark. Because this book is written for people that have no idea what these Jewish things are. That's why it was written with, that's why there's some a lot more description about washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. I think it's so that when there if there was a person, a Gentile believer that's struggling in their faith, they don't know whether to go to this. Jewish law, because at the time the temple was still there, they didn't—they don't know. Like, oh, should I go to the Jewish religion here, or should I go towards Christianity? Or if they're struggling in their faith, this gives them assurance that the way of the Jewish, the Judaize, the Judea, Judaism, all the Pharisees, all of them are lies. But said, look to Jesus. Look to the fact that He is the one that doesn't follow some sort of tradition of man. Rather, He is God. He is the one that we're supposed to look to. He is the one that we're supposed to delight in. And he is the reason why we live the way that we do. It is not because we want to take things away from Scripture or add things to Scripture. Rather, we love Jesus, and God's word is no longer a burden to us. We delight in him. We love him more. And therefore, things like gossip will, be things, will, will cause us to be convicted because we realize that is not how Jesus spoke. That's not how Jesus lived. Therefore, I want to let go of those sins and live faithfully to him, not because I want some external piety or performance or anything like that, but it's because I love him, and therefore, I want to live for him. When we look to the life of Christ, when we look to who Jesus is, we understand why he came into this world, and it's to show us that there is a different way. You don't need to work your way into heaven like the legalists. You don't need to take things away like the antinomian. Rather, just look to Jesus Christ. Look to him. Love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, and everything will fall into place. And, for, and that's really the, the charge for all of us. It's not to follow the traditions of man because they'll come, they'll go, but God's word is one that will remain forever because Jesus Christ is our Lord and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to let go of whichever side you're in, which, again, we're all prone to, let go of those things and delight in Jesus Christ. Look to him so that look to him, cherish him, and love him. And if you truly have an affection for him, you will live in a way filled with joy. And like the legalists that, that try to make you feel burdened by the law, you'll be filled with joy and happiness. You won't be worried about whether or not you're living rightly or wrong because you're living for the Lord. You're not living towards any external standards, rather you're living for the one true living God. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for your word again. Lord, it is so easy for our heart to waver between one or the other, to go from one extreme to the other. Lord, I ask that you can enable the Holy Spirit to work in our life so that we have a true relationship with you, true religion that's found not in the traditions of man, but rather in your word. Lord, help us with this. For those that of us that are tempted to add things to your word, may we confess that to you. We realize that your word is sufficient. It, it is enough. Lord, I also pray for those that are on the other end, the antinomian. May you cause us to be sensitive to, towards sin into and to really be terrified of the fact that you are indeed a holy God that hates sin, and that we don't make any justification for it, but rather we, we humbly repent and to live in a way that is most pleasing to you. Lord, give us spiritual maturity. Give us discernment. Help us know you through your word 
and transform us to be more and more like this servant, Lord. Lord, thank you for this, for the time that we have. In your son's name we pray. Amen.